to share from a familiar passage. David said, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained. When God puts his hand on us, at times it can feel heavy. It does not always feel inspiring when the Lord puts his hand heavy upon us. Amen. At first it doesn't. My vitality was drained away as with fever, as with the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So first, God starts dealing with David. And when God starts dealing with David, he doesn't immediately feel inspired and encouraged. He feels the heaviness. He feels like his vitality is drained from him. He feels like he's got a fever. He's so without energy. Amen. But then... David acknowledges to God. He doesn't say God's being unfair. This is not encouraging. He acknowledges. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. Now can we hide our iniquity from God? And yet, even though God may know it, we may still be hiding it from Him. God doesn't just need to know it in His omniscience. He needs to know it from us. Amen? We need him to know it. And we need to know that we confessed it. That we acknowledged it. That we said, God, I'm not in the place that I want to be today. You have got an incredible purpose already on the horizon and advancing toward me. And God, I see things in my life that are not the way they should be. And I can just say, well, God, you know, just help me. And before you know it, I'm going to feel like all my vitality is drained from me and I'm hopeless. I have got to acknowledge specifically what it is you're dealing with me about. I've got to confess it. Amen. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. When true sorrow that leads to repentance comes, God will forgive. God will take away the guilt. God will take away the sting of what has thus far happened. But he wants to do more than that. He wants to take away the habit that made it happen. He wants to take away the perspective that allowed it to happen. He wants to take away the problem, not just the consequence of the problem. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. What he's saying is there are times when God is available to us. There are times when his grace is present. And we have got to seek God when he's right there. We cannot wait until we really desperately, terribly need him. He calls that in the flood. Because in that moment, we will not find him. If we say, oh God, I know you're dealing with me, but... I don't know, I don't think it's that bad. I'll take care of it later. Or I'll take care of it if I ever have that problem. When we do finally get in the crisis, we won't find God. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. 
They will not be able to get a hold of God if they start trying to make the change in the high flood. And then he says, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Amen. He started off by saying, God's hand is on me and I'm depressed. But then he confessed, he acknowledged, and he began to pray. And suddenly now he's singing. He says, you are my hiding place. Amen. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Then the Lord speaks back to David and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Amen. I will guide you with my eye. I'm not just one who's going to take you out of your messes. I'll do that. But that's not my goal. I want to instruct you. I want my words to go inside of you before you make the mistake. And I want to be able to guide you in the path that is right. I don't just want to be able to rescue you. I'm not just your 911 call. I want to be able to lead you and guide you in the way of life. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and guide you with my eye. Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding. Amen. The Apostle James describes the same kind of people when he said these are unreasoning creatures, brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. Amen? There's some sense in which God does not want us to be without understanding. He wants us to understand what the will of the Lord is, like the Bible says. Amen? He doesn't want to scatter his seed and the first people to lose it are those who did not understand. Amen. When we lose our understanding, when we just become sluggish and slothful in our thinking, or if our heart becomes slow of heart to believe what the Scriptures are speaking, so that it does not quicken our mind to comprehend, Amen. then what we become is people who cannot be guided with God's eye, who cannot be directed with His instruction and His counsel. We become people who have to be handled from without, who have to be dealt with by circumstances and discipline. Amen. God wants to guide us with His eye. He wants to instruct us with His counsel. But we have got to make up our minds to become people of understanding, to become people who do not have to be manipulated from without but who can be motivated from within, who can be enlightened in our understanding, who the eyes of our heart, the lights can turn on in our heart, and we can see what God's will really is. Amen. All it takes for us to veer off of God's path, for us to go into those floods where we cannot reach Him, all it takes is for us to become a little confused and sluggish. And it never quite gets down to our heart. It never quite turns on the lights and we say, I can do that, God. I can change in my life. Amen. That's within my power to obey by your grace, God. 
We kind of stay in this stupor that keeps us stupid to his will. And pretty soon things start coming into our life that we don't like. Floods start coming. All of a sudden a whip cracks on the right side. And a rod strikes on the left. And a goad hits us in the heel. Amen. What's going on, God? Why is God dealing with me so harshly? Why are things happening like this? Is this God's will? No, it's not God's will. But you've lost your ability to be guided with His eye. How is someone guided with an eye? Right now, if I were to look at one of my children in a certain way, even if they're across the room, they're checking over at me every now and again. And if they're behaving in a certain way, they're going to see a certain look that says, don't you dare. And they're going to back away from the thing on the coffee table or they're going to lower their voice with their sibling. Amen? The idea of being guided with an eye means that words aren't always necessary. You know the intimacy that can exist between two people where you don't really have to say anything and you know exactly what the other one's thinking. Somebody says something and you look over and they know you're both remembering the same thing. She walks in and she's got a glass of water and you never move, you never say anything, but somehow she knows that you're saying, yes, I'd take that. (laughs) It requires a kind of attentiveness and tuned inness and sensitivity. It does not happen to the horse or the mule. In fact, it can with some animals with enough training. I remember I had this dog And he was so oblivious to me at first. That was the biggest problem. And the only way to to jolt a dog out of his oblivion is through pain. Circumstances. A strike on the side. A zap of the collar. To get him so that he does not become one-track minded once he gets on a track. That's the number one thing in training an animal is they they become one-track minded. And it's not that they are rebelling. They don't have the capacity to rebel. Unless they receive help, they don't have the capacity to divert their attention from something that interests them to you. And so you have got to use stimulation, a nice word for it, to arrest their attention, to break the spell that they have on whatever it is, the scent, the other animal, whatever it is, you've got to do something that interrupts the spell the fixation that they've locked in on with that other animal. Amen? And I remember working with this one dog, and eventually this dog would never take his eyes off of me. In fact, he was the only dog I ever had that would never sleep in my presence. Most dogs will calm down and they'll go to sleep. This dog, I could never get it. to. We had it for 12 and a half years. I could never get it to sleep in my presence. And it was because he would put his head down and he would start to doze off. And he'd always be opening his eyes to see, is something exciting about to happen? He'd be starting to fall asleep, and he'd look up again. If I made the slightest movement, I could leave the room, and immediately he'd be asleep. If I came back into the room, I could sit as still as I could, and he, he would not sleep. And I, it got to where I would tell him to sit. And just in the way I would look at him, he would stay there. And I could go a hundred yards away. And all I'd have to do is raise my eyebrow. And he'd dart to me. 
And then give him another look and he'd sit down. Stay. Not, not a word, not a hand signal, just the eye. Now, he wasn't a mule or a horse, but even an animal can become that sensitive. Amen. Sensitivity is necessary to hear from God. So if you're not a sensitive person, you can't hear from God. And hearing from God is necessary in order to be saved. So if you're not a sensitive person, you can't be saved. It is at the core of what God wants to do in a Christian's life is to change them from being a brute beast. In Jude's words, made to be caught and destroyed. Amen? To becoming someone who can feel after God. Who can be moved by things that other people don't notice. A twitch of an eyebrow moved my dog and made him stay and made him come. It directed him. And other people wouldn't even know what I was doing. They would think the dog was acting on his own. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Amen. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in Yahweh, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. Thank you, Jesus. So... If somebody is hearing from God in a way that you're not, if somebody is getting something from God that you're not, is it God's fault or is it yours? Is it because your circumstance is different or is it because their heart is different than yours? Is it because you have less time and you have less instruction and you have less help and Is it your circumstance that's the problem? Is it your bit and your bridle and your whip and your goad that's missing? Or is it because they're upright in heart? Is it because they have been sensitized to lock in and notice the things you're oblivious to? How is God's will done? When God works in you inside of you to will and to do his good pleasure you see all of us have excuses some of us have things harder over here and easier over there and somebody else has it flipped around there's such a diversity but in the end the good news is every man is without excuse God is good enough he is loving enough he is powerful enough he is close enough And he is true enough that he can give you everything you need for life and godliness. He can work inside of you to do exactly what he has predestined in his will that you should accomplish. Amen? And it is not up to your circumstances. It is up to you. It is up to something that happens inside of you. My dad was speaking to me this week and he said, he said, son, you know, one of the most troubling things is that you see people who have good character 
who have acceded to the will of God. Who really want to do God's will. Everything is in place. But he said, they are not driven by a positive force. And they do not represent a positive force in the kingdom of God. They are a willing person. They are a compliant person. They are maybe a studious person, a thoughtful person, a wise person, an intelligent person, a gifted person, an equipped person, but they are not a positive force. They do not represent a force in the kingdom of God. And he said, a breakthrough, if it depends on them, will never happen. Never. And I thought about all of us. We all want to be in a better, different place than where we are right now. We all have some dream. We all have some plan. But we all have some, at least vague notion, that we want to move forward. That we want to become different people. Amen? But the trick of the devil is to tell us that the holdup, the hindrance, is circumstantial instead of internal. And so we look for a change in our circumstance. And that's needed sometimes. Sometimes God uses that to kickstart us out of our unbelief and into a place of faith. But we imagine that the grass is always greener on someone else's side of the fence. And so we say in ourselves, we say, if I had that kind of father, man, I'd be a different person. If I had that kind of spouse, man, I'd be a different person. If I had that kind of job, if I had that kind of pastor, if I had that kind of home, if I was in that group over there, if I could be a part of that ministry over there, if I could travel to this country, I would be a different person. And we believe it. Because deep down inside, we want to be a different person. But all of that is a trick and a deception of the devil. Because the promise is not that God will redeem the world, this fallen world in which we live. This world is coming to nothing. It's full of things that are broken and can never be fixed. But the one thing God can do is work in you to will and do His good pleasure. The one thing God can change is your heart, your attitude, your faith. He cannot change the fact that you're going to die. Because He gave you this world and you gave it to the enemy. And therefore, it's no longer in God's hands. Amen? But your soul always belonged to God. All souls are mine, says the Lord. And the soul that sins will die. It is up to you. You can change your heart and God can change everything around you just from that. Think about the passage that we all know so well. I want you to hear it today like you've never heard it before. It's a commandment. It's not an insight. It's a commandment. Do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? That means your circumstances represent a form of mold. And you can 
like the soft, malleable material that we are, clay, we can allow ourselves to be formed and conformed by the mold that our circumstance dictates. But he says, do not be conformed to this world. He commands you, be transformed. How do you obey that command? How do you obey the command of God to be transformed? What that means is change. Change. Just change. And how do you obey it? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be without understanding. That would make you like a horse or a mule that had to be dependent on externals. But you don't have to be conformed to externals. You can be changed if you'll just gain the understanding that comes from an enlightened heart. Amen. And you believe God's word and plan for your life. And you don't believe it in an abstract sense, but you say, I can do that. Be transformed. It's a command. Be changed. Amen. By the renewing of your mind. God, how do I renew my mind? What keeps my mind from being renewed? Excuses. That's the simple answer. That's what keeps your mind from being renewed. That you adopt excuses. Amen. Why do we adopt excuses? We want to change. But what we really want when we say we want to change is we want certain things to change. We want to feel motivated. We want to feel fulfilled, right? But we would like to achieve those good results with an unchanged vessel. We want the results of change, and that's what we really want to change. We don't want to change deep down inside. And you can say, why? Well, it might be because we don't believe we can change. Have you ever invested in a project? Let's say you're building a canoe or a table or And you get your plans and you work on it. And you invest days, maybe weeks, working and working and working and working on this. And then all of a sudden, you realize you did something terribly wrong. That something is flawed at the basic construction of this project. Now, you tell me the truth. Do our minds not work forward and backward, side to side and inside out for how we can fix it without undoing it. You'll throw the project down and walk away and come back the next day. In fact, you may spend more time trying to figure out how to fix it without having to undo it than it would have taken just to redo it. There is a certain economy of effort that is in our thinking. It hardwires us to say, don't change. Amen? Don't undo the things that are already done. Just try to get the good results with an adaptation. But God doesn't say, be not conformed to this world, but get an adaptation, make an adjustment. He says, be transformed. That word is metamorphosis. That means become an entirely different thing. And what am I saying? I'm saying what happens is you've already got some things started in the project of God's plan for your life. you got your personality started, and you think it can't change. You've got your perspective started, and you think that can't change. 
Amen? You've got your rhythm of how you do things. And you think that can't change. I've just given you three things you think can't change. Amen? So then you come face to face with this promise, and the grass is brown. It doesn't turn green. And so you, you do double black backflips trying to figure out how to get that grass, what you want it to be, how to get your circumstance to match God's promise with those three things unchanged in your heart. You say, I'm not an outgoing kind of person. Well, if you don't believe you can change, then you can't be a loving kind of person. Because to some extent, you're going to have to, going to, have to turn out. And you're going to have to give. So your love is never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to get out of love what you thought you were going to get. As long as you think you can't change that little quirk about your personality. You say, I'm not a trusting kind of person. I'm not a communicating kind of person. I'm a loner. I've known loners like that. They're all out of the church now. It's not natural for me to call somebody up and explain why I didn't do this or why this, wasn't, why this didn't happen. That's not natural. Well, that's who you are in your natural state. But God wants you to undo it. He wants you to unscrew this board and unglue that one and chip this one out and change. He wants you to believe you can be different. You have to. You have to. And it's when you start consigning certain areas of your life to the category of, I don't think I can change that. That's when your promises start shutting down one after another. And the whip starts cracking over here and the rod over there and the goat over And life starts getting really bad really fast. You've got to change. And you think it's the circumstance. I am telling you, it is not the circumstance. It is not the people around you. It is not your time. It is you. You have got to change. You have got to become a different kind of person. You have got to become as flexible as the greatest cutting horse without a rein, just the eye. You say, I don't pick up on those kind of things. I'm not that kind of person. I'm blunt. I say it like it is. I don't like all this subtlety. Just spell it out. You'll never be controlled by God's eye. You'll never be guided by his eye. Because God is not going to stoop to become your whip and your rod. Circumstances may come that will humble you. But you will miss your place if you cannot be guided by his eye. Think about people whose circumstances were far less than perfect. Some of the people who inspire us more in the Bible than anybody else. Look at the three Hebrews. Did they have the perfect pastor? Did they have the perfect family? Did they have the perfect community? Did they have the perfect group fellowship? And yet they revolutionized their world. Shockwaves of revolution started in their hearts and ramified through the entire world. Amen. But what some would do with your circumstance, they could change the world with your circumstance. Because the change is right here. God can work in them to will and do His good pleasure. 
And you say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. But if you will give me anything, I will yield to you. Just wink at me, God, and I'll run across this room. Just flitter your eyelash, Lord, and I'll get it. I'll be doing it just as fast as I see it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to know that God can do more out of your life than you've given him credit for yet. He's so much bigger than you can imagine. He's so much more capable. But it all depends on you, not him, you. He's already ready. He's already there. It depends on you. Are you a person who is a positive force in the place that you find yourself? I don't mean in the force of your personality. I mean in the zeal for God's house that will accomplish this. Amen. Of, it, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And what will accomplish this? The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. If there is an end to that, then there is an end to his government and peace wherever there's an end to that. That's zeal. If the advance of the kingdom isn't happening in your life, it ain't your circumstance. It's your zeal. It's your heart. It's your faith. And your biggest excuse is the excuse that it's your circumstance. They all represent an excuse too. It's so and so's fault. It's the, it's the, but just the whole perspective that says, if I had this situation, I wouldn't have a problem. That is your excuse. And it's a lie. Amen. One of the greatest ways for you to show your suppleness to God is to become someone eager to do his will. Amen. In Titus, he says that the Lord died and saved us, that he might purify a people eager for good works. Eager for good works. What does eagerness look like? Brother Dan once told a story about eagerness. He said he had a dog and a cat that were living in the house. And the dog, if it had to get up and out and go outside in the middle of the night, it would scratch at the door. And as soon as you open the door, boom, like a cannonball, it'd be out the door. But the cat is so proud and so aloof and so insulated in its independence that he said that you would open up the door, the cat would be clawing, desperate, let me out of here. But when you got up to open the door, he would realize how desperately he really needed you. And then he didn't want to let on that he needed you that bad. So he'd kind of stand back from the door and, and wrap his tail around. He just didn't want to show how desperate he was. And you'd kind of grab your foot and <laughs> help his eagerness. I don't know another expression of humility that's better than eagerness. Pride holds you aloof. Eagerness. You're unashamed to be ready. Amen. You're not trying to prove how independent you are. You're trying to prove to God how desperate you are for the twinkle of his eye, for the smallest indication. Purify a people eager for good works. Same thought as when he says, God loves a cheerful giver. There's supposed to be a spring in your step. There's supposed to be a smile on your face. There's supposed to be a joy. I'm living for God. Amen. If you don't feel that way, I'm sorry, but you're cutting yourself off from the favor of God. God loves a cheerful giver. 
He gives grace to the humble. And I'm saying you show your humility by your eagerness. A kid, when you tell him, we're about to go on a ride, we're about to go on a trip, they will be jumping up and down, clapping their hands, ringing it. They're so excited. But when, when the Spirit starts to tell us, be expectant, our heart pounds, but we don't want to let on that we're that excited. You've got to change that. You've got to become someone who's transparent with your feelings. You've got to wear your heart on your sleeve. Amen. You've got to become someone like Peter. The Lord comes to him at the Sea of Galilee. He hasn't seen him since the crucifixion when he betrayed him. You've got to know there was a whole lot of disappointment. You've got to know God's hand was heavy on Peter and his vitality was drained from him. Amen? And here he's out in the boat and all of a sudden he sees the Lord and John's dialoguing with the Lord and, and he realizes that it's the Lord and he takes his cloak and he jumps in with all his clothes and his jacket on and he swims to shore. What does that demonstrate? It demonstrates an eagerness. That's someone that God can entrust the keys of the kingdom to. Someone who can say, Lord, if it be you, command me to come to you on the water and jump out on the water. Do you think it's a coincidence that God chose someone like Peter? You say, well, I don't have that kind of personality. I'm calm, cool, and collected. you got to change. And if you can't change, don't blame God. you got to change. I'm not talking about foolishness. I'm talking about inspiration. I'm talking about what it takes to possess the promised land. I'm talking about being that kind of person who can be moved across the yard with just a change in God's look in his eye. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our minds are like GPS systems where you, you type in and you say, avoid all construction, and it goes recalculating. Well, that's what we're like. It's like avoid all change. Recalculating. How can this be done without changing who I am? How can I accommodate the givens of what I already am and do God's will? And what you need to see on the screen is dead end. No route detected. And then you need to type in, accept change at the core level. Be willing to alter everything. Have faith that I can do it if God says so. And then you're going to see, route detected. Proceed straight ahead. You've got to change. And to change, you have to be dissatisfied with what you already have. You have to be inspired by something that's better. And you have to believe in the method that God is holding out. And the method is right up here. Your understanding. Amen? You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind needs to be new again. It's slipped back into the old way of seeing things. And God wants to bring it to the new way again. Renewed. Make new again. Amen? When you got the Holy Ghost, everything was possible. Miracles were possible. Love was possible. Nothing was impossible. Amen? But somehow, it's old again. God wants to make it renew again. Amen. Renew my mind, God. Give me your perspective, God. Give me your pattern, God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I can hear your Word, God. I can do it, God. Amen. Let my mind catch up with what you're saying, God. And my whole life will be transformed. Amen. Praise you, Jesus.
I believe you, God. I believe you with all my heart. Amen. Not my will, but thy will be done, oh my Lord. Not my will, but thy will be done, oh my Lord. It's not my will, but thy will be done, oh my Lord. It's not my Change my situation. 